0: Good morning. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. Uh, thank you for being here this weekend. Uh, how many of you guys have never been on a mission trip? Raise your hand. Uh, okay. Uh, anybody? How many of you guys would be interested in going on a mission trip if it worked out for you? All right. Just checking. Uh, we like to go visit all of our missionaries every two years. Uh, that way we find out what their actual needs are. We also find out that when we can visit them, we end up being personally more generous toward them. Um every weekend when you guys give to God through this church family, yes, we we take care of our physical needs, like you know the the lease on the building and the lights and personnel. Uh, but this also happens to be the most generous church I've ever been a part of. We're one of only two churches that sponsor Open Church uh, in Denmark. So all of their needs getting started, came from Grace Church and one other church in, in Ocala, Florida. Um, and uh, we, this will be my first time to uh, Denmark, Denmark ne- never, never been, uh, but they're thinking killing it over there. Uh, at 100 people, their church is like the third largest church in the country. Like Isn't that crazy? Uh, so they're, they're doing a, a really good job. Uh, his identical twin brother uh, is a pop star in their country? It's true. Uh, He's actually the number one pop star in their country, Uh, and he's like really famous. He can dance and all that kind of stuff, so he's like the white Michael Jackson of Denmark is what his identical twin brother is. Um, So I tell him, I said, the only reason why your church is the third largest church in the country is everybody thinks you are your brother. That's why everybody is coming. If they're asking you for your autograph, it's not because of your sermon, I promise. Um, His wife, by the way, doesn't speak any English. She's just reading. She's saying words she has no idea what she's saying, so it's really cool that her husband put the right words up there. That would have been funny if he just started making his wife start swearing at everybody and didn't even tell her. That would have been hilarious. She wouldn't have even known. She would have said it so sincere, all of these swear words. In the name of Jesus, that would have been hilarious. Uh, We're starting a new series today uh, uh, called called, uh, This Means War. This means war. And uh, we're talking about uh, spiritual warfare, which always sounds really dramatic for a church to say this. And, and, um, uh, and, and we're going to be talking about that also. How many of you guys have seen the movie Matrix? Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Matrix. If you have not seen the movie Matrix, raise your hand if you've not seen the movie Matrix. All right. Uh, and you're probably not going to because it's like a 23-year-old movie by now. So there will be spoilers in this. So uh, don't – you know what? If you haven't seen it by now, too late. Anyway, uh, in the movie The Matrix – uh, all of humankind is experiencing a reality uh, without being aware that there's something far more real and sinister happening, happening in the background. Uh, Neo, the Keanu Reeves character, every time I think of Keanu Reeves, I don't think of Matrix, I think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Even when I see him in John Wick, I still expect him to look at the camera and go, dude, or Bro. Right, like I'm I totally expecting him to say that in, in all of his movies. Uh, but in that movie, he's he's a part of the Matrix. It's this fabricated uh, pseudo reality that he's experiencing, and all of humanity is also. There was a war between the computers and the people, and the people lost. But uh, the, the the computers basically are human human using humans as as batteries, and it's it's crazy. But there's like there's there's spiritual uh, metaphor. Throughout this in, entire movie, uh, there is a scene like when he he has to take the red pill or the blue pill, and he takes the red pill. So if you ever heard of that phrase, you know, take the red pill. It's about being woke, like like waking up, right? Well, that comes from the movie of uh, the Matrix. So he takes the red pill and he wakes up, and I'm like, you know, he's talking about being rescued from like the whole world is blinded, right, by their sin. Like, that, like there's all kinds of like there's there's a very spiritual court like like. Uh, Uh, overlap in in this so like when he gets saved from the matrix he's I said now if he gets baptized after he's saved I'm gonna freak out he gets baptized he gets dropped into the water remember he goes underwater but like he's a messiah character for the movie so I said now if the heavens open and a dove descends on this guy, I'm gonna freak out and the heavens open and a claw comes down in a bright light and picks him up you remember that and at the end I said now if he dies and resurrects I'm I'm gonna lose my flipping mind homeboy dies and he comes back from the dead and then I said, now, if he ascends into heaven at the end of this movie, I'm going to poop my pants. Homeboy, the very last thing of the Matrix is the dude ascends into heaven. Like, have you guys like, caught that before? Like, they just ripped off the whole New Testament for that, for that movie. Like, they just took Bible stories and they just said, let's make it like a nowadays thing and it'll make billions. And it, and it did. It was a great idea. Anyway, it's that idea that behind the scenes, something is happening that people are completely unaware of. And I'm thinking that there's a little bit more truth to that fiction than what we think about. Every day we wake up, we go to school, we come home, we eat, we watch TV, we go to bed, and we repeat. And we just keep doing this until we die. We're born, we go to school, we get a job, we get married. Some of us get married, we have kids, some of us have kids. We climb the ladder, we retire, we get the golden watch, and then we die. And from time to time, we check our score to see how we're doing against everybody else, i.e. our bank accounts, uh, just to see how we're doing. And that's pretty much the way we live our lives. Like we're kind of stuck in a matrix and everybody's just kind of doing the same thing, chasing the same carrots, climbing the same ladders against the same walls as everybody else. And you're probably thinking, wow, great start to this series. (laughs) Uh, A little heavy, right? Um, but what if the Bible is actually right when it talks about there being a spiritual reality that is just as real as our physical, uh, what, we, what we experience physically? The Bible says that we're created in the image of God. We're the only part of his creation that's created in his image. Uh, animals are not in the image of God. Angels are not in the image of God. Uh, nothing else is in the image of God other than people according to the scriptures. Angels are purely spiritual. Animals are purely Physical. However, we, creating the image of God, are both 100% physical and 100% spiritual. I believe that Adam and Eve could see all of spiritual reality just as plainly as they see, saw everything physical, which is the reason why that they were able to talk to Satan through that serpent face-to-face as they were 100% aware of spiritual realities at all times. And then once Adam and Eve chose to... Walk away from the creator of life, from the source of all that was good. They found that they had created death and had become the source of all that was bad. The Bible says that they died. Paul says that we died spiritually. And now everybody who has a human father is born with a sin nature, according to Romans chapter 5. You're born with a sin nature, the Bible says. So you're born physically alive, but spiritually dead is what the scripture says. So we are unaware of our spiritual surroundings. We don't see angels. And if you do, please don't tell me. I'm going to be very uncomfortable around you from now on. Right? Like we don't see into the spiritual. And then when we turn from our sin, repent is the Bible word for changing our mind about the direction our lives we're going. And become devoted followers of Jesus, accepting his death, burial, and resurrection. as the only thing that pays off. Our debt. The Bible says that God's Holy Spirit moves into our lives. And the, the the King James language for this is that he quickens us or he makes us alive spiritually. Jesus talked about this as a second birth. He said you need to be born again. It's not that you're redoing the first birth. You were physically born. Now you need to be spiritually born. And that happens when God's Holy Spirit moves in takes away all of the sin, cleans our slate, and then sprays us with Teflon. That sin never sticks anymore. We still sin, it just doesn't stick anymore because of Jesus. And when God sees us, he doesn't see us as followers of Jesus because through the things that we've done, but through the things that Jesus has done, which is the reason why that we have access to God, even though we're broken and flawed, because we stand before God covered in Jesus' Teflon, essentially is the way that works. But Paul says, but this doesn't mean that you... Get to see everything spiritually. Now, in fact, the language that the Apostle Paul uses in describing the way that we experience spiritual realities is he says, We see through a glass dimly, darkly. I asked my dad one time, what does that mean we see through a glass dimly? He you know, when you go take a shower in the bathroom and then you get out and the, the the mirror is foggy. How many guys, you've seen a foggy mirror? Raise your hand so I know you're still with me and I haven't lost you. Okay, thank you. Right? Like you can see shapes and shadows in that foggy mirror, but you can't get any details. That's how Paul says that we who have God's spirit in us, we now are aware of spiritual realities, even though we don't get any of... We don't get any of, of the details. That's what the scripture says. And when we turn from our sin to begin following Jesus, something happens beyond just uh, having God's Holy Spirit in our life. Just being made a spiritual, spiritually alive. Uh, going from light uh, dark to light. From, from spiritual death to spiritual life. According to the scriptures, we actually switch teams. We go from one team to another team when we become a devoted follower of Jesus. It's almost as though we're drafted into a mission that is much larger than any one of us, uh, into uh, a plan that was bigger than any one of us had for our own lives. Uh, There are consequences, we recognize now, to the choices that we make that are bigger than the moments in which we make those choices. And we realize that everything that I do plays a part in things that I cannot see. Uh, I recognize now uh, that God's Holy Spirit is in me, and I've been um, made uh, alive spiritually, that this 70, 80, 70 years, when I was was like in my 20s, 70 years seemed like a long time, right? Like 70, man, that's old. Like I don't think I want to live past 70. And now that I'm 51, I'm thinking 90, 100? Like as long as I can wipe myself when I go to the bathroom, I want to live. When I can't do that anymore, I'm ready to see Jesus, which is probably an inappropriate thing to say, but it's an honest thing to say. Um, but I recognize that this brief ninety years, like it's like the dot that I'm leveraging for the benefit of the entire line, right? Like it's, like I'll gladly trade everything in this little ninety years to make sure that I'm all set for the rest of forever, right? Like that's 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 the way that it, we we begin to look at things that, that things have consequences that go beyond the moment in which we make these decisions. So while some people are making decisions based on what gives me most relief from this discomfort, from this pain, from this, from this trauma, we're willing to go through some of those things like Jesus, like the Bible said about Jesus who was willing to go through the cross because of the joy that he knew that was on the other side of this. So we, we can look at the other side of this and go through this a little bit differently because of our new relationship with God. And my hope is in this series to wake you up to the reality of spiritual warfare that's happening around us and in us all the time. So there's three things that I'm hoping you get from the teaching today, and the first is this. I want you to recognize that there is a spiritual battle happening right now. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 says this. Timothy, my son, this is Paul talking to his, his min, uh, the guy he was mentoring, uh, Timothy. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. These prophetic words, by the way, the things that were done to help you develop in your relationship with God, your spirituality, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. When we talk about spiritual things, we talk about being spiritually healthy. Uh, And and I don't think that there's anything wrong with using that kind of language. But when the Bible talks about spiritual realities, it doesn't use terms related to health. It uses terms related to the military. He says, listen, I want you to know that what what God is involved in is a stinking battle and you need to fight. Like everything that was done for you in your relationship with God was done so that you could actually engage in the battle that God is now engaged in. That's what Paul said. So I want you to see that the language the Bible uses is military. It's aggressive. It's Yeah, it's military. I can't think of any other words to describe it. Like we, we talk about spiritually healthy. Like again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that the Bible uses words that are, that are different. Describing spiritual realities, and it's not a battle with physical violence, uh, but it's still a war. Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse three and four says this: "We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do." I want you to recognize that that the scriptures talk about the way that we engage spiritual realities is in terms of warfare. He says we 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 don't wage war as humans do. So it doesn't say that we. Again, it's. The language that the Bible uses to describe spiritual realities are not soft words. They're strong words. They're they're intense words. There is a spiritual battle happening right now over the hearts of every single person breathing air right now. Like we're never, I don't believe that we're ever passive in this. We are either being drawn closer to God... Or we are being fu- pulled farther away from God. This tug of war is always happening. Like there's never a moment where God is resting or Satan is resting. And by the way, God and the devil are not e- co-equal combatants. That's not accurate at all. Read the book of Jude. This isn't even in my notes. And this wasn't in the online teaching. This is bonus material for the DVD. All right? When you read the book of Jude... The Bible says that Satan wanted the body of Moses. God, God, God whoo, it's tough. God killed Moses before they went into the promised land. Because Moses messed up the picture of Jesus only being killed once. When he struck the rock twice, it messed up the picture of the crucifixion of Jesus. That was the picture of the Messiah who would whose body would be struck and there would be living water that would come from Jesus. So when Moses went back to the rock, he was supposed to just speak to it and we would get that living water again. Like, like Jesus didn't have to die. I don't have to get saved twice. All I need now whenever I need that spiritual water is just to go back to my Heavenly Father and ask for it. He's our, I've already been saved. So when Moses... Moses... Moses went back and he struck the rock a second time. He screwed up the whole picture, and there was a consequence for that also. The Bible says that God hid his body. Satan wanted the body of Moses because he knew that if he could produce the bones of Moses, just like the people of Israel worshipped a cow made out of their earrings, they would worship the bones of Moses. And when God wanted to stop Satan from Producing the bones of Moses so that the Israelites would worship them. God didn't get off his throne to go stop Satan. Read the book of Jude. It's one chapter. One of the shortest books in the whole Bible. And there's like three verses there that just says God sent Michael to stop him. Another archa- we, have the three, we have names of three angels in the Bible. Don't need to get into all of that. But my point is, when God wanted to stop Satan, he sent somebody else. He sent another angel, Michael. Now, they were fairly evenly matched because the Bible said it took 40 days for Michael to win. But Satan lost that battle to another angel. He's not even the most powerful angel, all right? So it's not like God is all worried about him or anything. But they are in conflict. Since Satan's been thrown down out of heaven, he's been doing everything he can to mess up the lives of those that bear God's image. It's the, and again not in my notes. Uh, I did my my senior paper on uh, gangs. Uh, this was in the early 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 90s. When doesn't matter that dates me. I know I'm not, I'm not senior in high school. Senior in college. My my paper. On this, and so like there's words like tagging and monikers and that kind of stuff. And so when they, you've probably seen uh, gang graffiti somewhere around the city. Raise your hand if you've seen gang graffiti around the city. Uh, raise your hand if it's on your. Don't raise your hand if it's on your street. Don't let it stay on your street. I've had we one place we lived somebody tagged our stop sign. And what I knew from reading or from doing the research on this that if you left that stand, then then you're 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 creating room for them in your community. So you need to erase the gang graffiti as soon as it goes up. So anyway, uh, but what? rival gangs will do is is they'll 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 mark it up they have like creative ways of making it say stupid stuff or they'll come over and they'll if it's got a letter that like they'll they'll crisscross over different things that they don't like like they tag it they mess up each other's graffiti is is what they do and the truth is when they drive by this rival gangs tag they can't leave it alone they have to mess it up not because they hate that wall or they hate spray paint but that what's spray painted on that wall represents the one they do hate. And so since they don't have access to the one they hate, they will do everything they can to mess up the image of the one they hate. Does that make sense? Okay, so God, Satan. Bible says that you and I are created a little lower than the angels. And when he sees you, he sees the image of God. And while he cannot touch God, dang it, he's going to do everything he can to touch you. That's what's happening all the time. We are human. Verse, uh, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. In talking about Spiritual warfare. C.S. Lewis, uh, who wrote *Mere Christianity*, uh, one of the classic uh, books on on a reason to believe in God, uh, and all of uh, literature, in in my opinion. In fact, C.S. Lewis was a, a, de, a, a devout, an avowed, excuse me, an avowed atheist, and he became friends with J.R.R. R. Tolkien from *The Hobbit*. You guys know *Lord of the Rings*. Anybody? Three people. Thanks. Everybody else is asleep. Alright. J.R.R. Tolkien was a devoted Christian. C.S. Lewis was an avowed atheist. They started hanging out at a pub called the Inklings uh, in in London. And it's famous. Like, you can go there and you can actually see the tape. Like, there's like a a little thing about it now and everything for people who geek out on that kind of stuff. I don't at all. Um, But... Uh, ended up becoming a devoted follower of Jesus, uh, C.S. Lewis did, because of the influence of J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Some of you guys didn't know J.R.R. Tolkien was a devoted Christian until uh, just now, but he actually led C.S. Lewis to faith in Jesus, who then began destru- de- deconstructing all of the arguments against, that he had against the existence of God, and he wrote this book called Mere Christianity, where he, from... Rationale and from the things that we see in the world says there's no other conclusion that I can come to other than the fact that there is a God. And if you're struggling with the existence of God, Mere Christianity would be a fantastic, easy to read, would be a fantastic book to start with. But he said this. He said, the enemy-occupied territory, that's what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great camp- campaign of sabotage against the enemy, we are born. Here's the tough thing: you don't choose the team that you're on. Uh, you don't choose the team that you start on. We're all born into the enemy's team, uh, and our enemies of God from birth. And, and what I want you to note is that God hasn't made you His enemy. We make ourselves uh, the enemy. Uh, Colossians chapter one verse nineteen says this: For God in all of His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, uh, or as Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. That's what makes me an enemy of God. It's my evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ on his, in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And the way that we are enemies of God is the way in which a rebellious son is treated by their father. Um, I'm not saying that everybody is a child of God. What I'm saying is that while you and I have made ourselves the enemy of God by our sinful thoughts and actions from the time of our birth, God never saw us as the enemy to be destroyed. It was the sin that was the enemy. In fact, God intended you to be the prize, to be the trophy that he would get when the sin in you had been killed. See, we by our thoughts and actions make God an enemy. We resist him all the time. Even as a devoted follower of Jesus, sometimes I live as though I were still an enemy of God. But God's never treated me that way. He's never tried to destroy you. He's not fighting against you, dang it. He's fighting for you is what God is doing. Satan, Satan doesn't, he doesn't hate you. You're bricks and spray paint. He doesn't give a rat's butt about you. The only reason why you matter at all is because you bear the image of the one he hates. You're you're a lemming. He'll push as many of those over that cliff as he can. He doesn't care. He doesn't hate you. You're nothing to him. But to God, you're worth him sacrificing himself for. So God and Satan don't fight the same way. Satan doesn't fight fair. God does because he doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to make you his. Satan, ah, dude, he'll freaking destroy everything, burn it all to the ground, doesn't even freaking care. You're nothing to him. All of us then are natural-born enemies of God. Earlier in the same chapter talk, talk, Paul talks about the two sides in this spiritual battle. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 says this, "For he God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, that's one side, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, that's the other side." Again, we're still talking about warfare. We're still talking about like military terms. It's how the Bible like you have to fight or you will be you'll be beaten who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This kingdom of darkness has a leader, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And this is all like strength and, and fighting and victory. and You've heard these words associated with the faith, and that's, this is why. Put on all of God's armor, again, military terms, so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the kingdom of darkness which is ruled by or led by the devil. And the truth is, some of us are getting our spiritual butts handed to us simply because we aren't even paying attention to the battle. You can't win a war that you won't fight. And that brings me to the second of three things I want you to get. One is I want you to recognize that there is a spiritual battle happening right now for you, not against you. The second thing I want you to know is that you need to know who your actual enemy is, because it's probably not who you think it is. 2 Timothy talks about fighting the good fight, which means that you could fight a bad one. There's nothing worse than spending all of your time fighting the wrong fight, fighting against the wrong enemy. But there's a good fight and there's a bad fight. The bad fight is for you to feel like your wife is the enemy. Your wife's not the enemy. Your husband's not the enemy. Your kids are not the enemy. Your parents are not the enemy. Your bully is not even the enemy. And the person who takes credit for your work at the office is not your enemy. Your roommate is not your enemy. Your teacher is not your enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us who our enemy is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You are not my enemy. Flesh and blood is not my enemy. We are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That is our enemy. I recognize that there is something behind the bully. The bully isn't the enemy. It's the influence he's following that's the influence. Change the influence, and the bully becomes my friend. There are plenty of times that I forget that people aren't my enemy. They're the ones I'm fighting for, not against. Martin Luther King recognized that. Jesus recognized that. I mean, he got it from Jesus. He was a pastor. Jesus said, love your enemies, right? Like, we don't fight fire with fire. You fight fire with with water. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5 says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, not to knock down people. My spiritual battle isn't to knock down people, but it's to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments, not to destroy people. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. There's an obstacle in the heart of the person who's making my life uncomfortable which gives me the ability when I recognize there's a spiritual battle happening in the heart of me and my boss. When I recognize my boss is not the enemy, right? But is the battleground on which my real enemy is waging war. And the way I respond to my boss is either going to help my boss come to know and to follow Jesus or it's going to push him farther away. Which is the reason why Christians could look in Caesar's face, And not deny the resurrection of Jesus, even if it meant that he was going to stick a lion on him. Because there's something bigger happening here than just Caesar. It's the way that we find courage to go against the flow. Jesse Ventura one time said, Christianity is a crutch for the weak. Bro, he's never tried Christianity. What the freak? Do you know how stinking hard it is to be an 18-year-old godly kid? Who's the only one who's not having sex with just every person with two legs? Do you know how hard it is to handle yourself with integrity whenever the people, to give honest numbers on an appraisal when the entire industry expects you to fudge the numbers by 10% and you still give actual numbers? And to be fired over that by the owner of your garage because you won't lie to the insurance company? Like, do you know any real Christians? Bro, it ain't for the freaking weak. Right? Now, sometimes my flesh is weak, and that's when I'm not leaning on Jesus, or maybe that's when I should lean on him more. And when my flesh is weak, Paul says I'm strong because that's the reminder that I need Jesus even more, and we're going to get into that in a minute. I just got ahead of myself, and I'm in my head, so I might have lost you. I'm going to go back to my notes. We fight against ungodly reasoning, not ungodly people. The lion is after my marriage, my purity, my holiness, my kids, my neighbors. Bro, if I won't fight for them, who will? Here's the thing. We, like the people in the movie The Matrix, just go about our day all the time without considering the spiritual realities at play behind the choices that we're making every day. What I mean is this. Every time you've chosen to skip church on the weekend with your children so that they could play intramural sports. You have communicated to your children what's more important. And I know you don't want to hear that, and I'm sorry. Garrett made the travel team as a fourth grader for for the town of Stoughton. And Garrett was good enough to start. I'm his dad. I'm completely objective about this. I'm kidding. My son did make the high school varsity basketball team in Stoughton. And other kids that did start on his travel team did not make the team. So I think objectively I can say, I can make the case at least, that Garrett was good enough to start. But he never did. Because back then, Grace Church didn't have Saturday night services. By the way, it's one of the reasons why we started a Saturday night service, so Garrett could go to basketball on Sunday morning. But in fourth grade, Garrett said, why can't I go to the game? I go to church every week why can't I go to the game this Sunday? I said, because God comes first every day is the reason why. And we go to church, even if that means you don't start. So Garrett never started for travel basketball in Stoughton. From fourth grade all the way through eighth grade, he never started. Even though he was one of the better kids. Now, he was six man. He went in pretty quick. But he never started because the coach had a principle. If you weren't going to be here for the games on Saturday, Sunday, you you weren't going to start on Saturday. I don't have a problem with the coach's rule at all. I think the coach's rule was the right rule. What I'm saying is that I'm modeling for my fourth grade son who is 10 years old that there is a price to pay to be a devoted father of Jesus that we gladly pay. That's what we do. You know what? You force your kids to go to school, right? Yes or no? Yes or no? You force them to do their homework. Yes or no? So why is it when it comes to religion we say we let them choose for themselves? You wouldn't do that in any other area of their lives. What I'm saying, you're communicating to your kids how little value your faith has. So quit being shocked when all of your kids walk away from God in college. That's going to keep happening. You're losing the freaking battle because you're not even fighting you don't fight. All we care about is our kids get money. Get a good job. Make money make money, 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 make money. And you know this is true in your heart. What we want is our kids to make a lot of money. So don't be surprised when they worship it because you did. I'm sorry. This, I don't want this to be mean at all. But bro, you got to freaking Fight. For your kids, because dang it, Satanists, and you ain't doing nothing to stop them. Nothing to stop me. I'm all the way up. Anybody else think of that? <laughs> Anybody else raise your hand if you thought of that? Okay, I'm just seeing who else has TikTok. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. I wish that was in my notes. I won't remember that for the next service. We're losing a generation of kids in Christian homes to the distraction of travel, sports, weekends at the beach, a science that denies the author of the structure and perfect order behind all of creation, identity that finds itself in the, its center in our sexuality rather than our creator. That's why we're losing the spiritual battle. And the people that disagree with our theology are not the enemy. They're the ones we're fighting for. They bear as much of the image of God as you do. Don't mar it any further. This may surprise you. And fellas in the back, I'm skipping some notes to catch up. This may surprise you, but if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you're already actually fighting against God himself. James chapter 4 verse 4 says this, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God? You're going to love God or you're going to love stuff. You can't love them both. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Paul says, I don't, I don't think you guys got that, so I'm going to say it one more time. You're going to use God to get more stuff or you're going to use stuff to worship God. One will be in service to the other. God isn't fighting against you. He's on a rescue mission and you're fighting against him. And there's only one way to win this war. And this is counterintuitive, but this is the third thing I want you to get from the teaching. Number one is this. There is a spiritual battle happening right now for your heart, for the hearts of those that you love. There's a spiritual battle being fought, even for the hearts of the people that you hate. There's a spiritual battle happening over the heart of every single person alive right now. All of them bear the image of God, and Satan's got his spray paint of chaos, pain, abuse, and hurt, and he's trying to write on everybody's heart. And God's doing his best, he's not going to do it against your will. But God is creating different moments of intervention in every single one of our hearts to bring us back to himself. And victory comes through surrender. It's counterintuitive, but we don't win through developing a better strategy or through sheer determination. Romans chapter 6, 12 through 14 says, don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Okay, how, Paul? Here's how. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead. We talked about that. We're born spiritually dead. But now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live. Under, listen, without Christ, every single one of us are a slave to our sin, to our baser nature, as the poet said. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Another way to say this is, yield yourself to God. What does this mean? I know what this means for me. To yield myself to God means that I follow the words of God and the prompting of God's Spirit. What that means is that when I see what the Bible says, I do what it told me to do. When God's Holy Spirit prompts me towards some act of selflessness, some act of generosity, compassion, forgiveness, or kindness, I respond. Even if it's towards those who would never return the favor, which is what Jesus actually told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you and use you, is what he said. 1 John chapter 5 says, For every child of God defeats this evil world and achieves this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So we win through faith, which I would leave that, if I was comfortable, with just spiritual phrases that don't mean anything to us. We do this through our faith. What the heck does that actually mean? How do we win this battle through our faith? What is faith? It's trust. It's trusting God enough to do what God said. That's what faith is. Faith is the confidence that God's way is the right way, even when I don't see the way to the other side of this. It's me getting to the place where it says that I trust God with my sexuality, I trust God with my money, I trust God with my family. I trust God with my priorities. I trust God with my past. I trust God in my present. I trust God for my future. I'm just going to do what he says because I trust him. That's faith. When I don't, and often I don't, I stop, I speak to the rock again to get living water and restart for the rest of today. And if I mess up again today, I stop, I speak to the rock. You guys get what I mean by that, right? That's not in my notes. I'm just I get living water and I start over again for the rest of today. That's what I do. I'm not going to willpower myself into a healthy marriage, neither are you. We're not going to willpower ourselves into appropriate sexuality, empowered generosity or effective influence. I'm going to respond to God's word and God's promptings through his Holy Spirit to get there. That's how I get the healthy marriage. It's not willpower. It's when God convicts me because I was a jerk in what I said to Billy Jane, and I go back and I confess my sin against my wife, and I ask for her forgiveness. And then when she, who doesn't feel like maybe I mean it or whatever, that chick can't read my mind. why well, how does she know? You have an argument like that? When she, out of the promptings of the Holy Spirit, chooses to forgive me. That's the way this works. The truth is, some of us are just coasting. You're losing the spiritual battle because you're just doing what everybody, you've turned off your brain like they did in The Matrix, and you're just doing what everybody else does. And so spiritually, you're getting what everybody else gets. And you're blaming God for the chaos in your life. That doesn't even make any sense. You're not intentionally resisting the enemy and his sleeping gas of wealth, prosperity, influence, and entertainment. You've been numbed, lulled to sleep. Your prayer should be to ask God to wake you up to the things that matter most. Take the red pill. Some of us see people as obstacles and enemies, and it's proven by the way we treat people or who we withhold love from or whether or not we're willing to offer forgiveness or assistance. Maybe you should ask God to help you see people the way he sees them. God, help me to see, and then think of the person who causes you the most discomfort in your life. Help me to see that person as somebody who bears your image that you would love to reconcile to yourself and help me to be willing to adjust whatever I need to adjust to be a part of that process. What does that mean? I have no idea for you, because I don't know that person. And some of us have never surrendered our lives to God at all. We've never been made spiritually alive. We're still spiritually dead. But every once in a while, as somebody who's not a Christian, somebody who's not a devoted follower of Jesus, you get a little whiff of spiritual life. There's a brief moment every once in a while where you feel a tug in your heart to come to God. And in those moments, you have a chance. But just in those moments. Because outside of that moment, you wouldn't even want it. That's God pulling you. Jesus said, nobody comes to me unless my Father draws them to me. And when you get that little whiff of spiritual life in your heart, then and only then can you be made spiritually alive. And I've got to imagine that right now, maybe there's somebody who's got that little whiff in your heart. There's something in you that wants to give your life to God. And that's because God is drawing you to Himself, and you need to receive that. I don't know which one of those examples you need to follow, but I pray that you would bow your head with me and make the prayer that you need to make. God, I love you with all of my heart, and I'm thankful for the Scriptures making us aware of the very real and serious consequences to the choices that we're making. And while in my family that choice came through youth sports in another family, it may come through academics, it may come through achievement, it may come through influence, God, we've all got our little pet struggles, our idols, the things that we worship more than we worship you. God, for those of us who've been lulled to sleep, who are not consciously aware that the times we talk to our children about you is times that we're engaging in spiritual battle for our children. And the weeks that go by where we don't engage them in any type of conversation is a week where we lost ground, spiritually speaking, in their hearts. God, as a father, I'm thinking of this as a dad, but there's single people here, people who are married who don't have kids. God, we've got relationships, though, with our roommates, with our parents, with our friends, coworkers. God, wake us up. Help us to recognize that every single interaction that we have, every single response to somebody else's choice We're either gaining ground spiritually or we're losing ground. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak into our hearts and by faith we would trust you enough to respond in a better way. Next time. That's our prayer. For those of us, God, who've seen people as obstacles, forgive us for that. Help us to love others the way you love us, to do good to those who do bad to be generous towards those who are selfish because you've been all of those things to us when we were all of those things ourselves. And for those, God, who spiritually are distant, but right now you're drawing to yourself, pull them all the way in. And if that's you, your prayer is, Jesus, I accept your death, burial, and resurrection as a payment for my sin against God and against others and I'm asking for your forgiveness. Take away my sin, save me from it, and help me to follow you with the rest of my life. I am all in. I am yours. God, be pleased with whatever prayer we're making right now. I ask this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen.